Hello, everyone. It's Lee Henson here, president and founder of Agile Band. It's time for today's episode of The Daily Stand-Up. So without any further ado, let's get started. Today, we're going to continue our Agile Expert Series, and I brought on a fellow certified Scrum trainer and someone who I consider a good friend, Mark Lowson. Mark, how are you today? Um, I'm absolutely excellent. I have a sufficient supply of coffee to last for a reasonably long period of time. So uh, my excellence level is high. Excellent. And, and touche, I'm, I'm the exact opposite. My water bottle is empty because I, I forgot to refill it before this broadcast. Uh, but we'll get on that as soon as we're done. So today, I know we had a lot of interesting things we wanted to talk about. And you were just jumping in and explaining something to me about one of the things that you've seen going on in the Agile community. I'm gonna let you run with that. Go for it. Okay, so the thing that has bugged me for a long time is we all do this wonderful job of teaching people how to do Scrum, or if you're coaching fan fun, we coach people into doing Scrum. And as soon as the formal mechanism, the formal trainer, the coach leaves the building, um, things seem to fall apart. Um, part of what is part of what seems to fall apart is that people's retrospectives stop improving things, and when they stop improving things. Um, Team members get bored and say, well, why would I bother to attend that retrospective? What the hell is the point? Right. Um, so I came up with a, a half-joking presentation. It was called Retrospectives Gone Bad. Uh, I like and, it. <laughs> and I've done a, a somewhat sarcastic survey of Twitter. I have a ridiculous number of uh, responses as to why retrospectives go bad. Uh, uh, I call it science, but clearly it's pseudoscience. Right. And I'm, I'm known on the I'm I'm known in the community for uh, if there's actually an academic paper on a subject, the odds are on I will find it and I will cite it and I will probably brandish it in your face. Okay? <laughs> that is so great. So I know there aren't academic papers on this mm -hmm. retros on why retrospectives aren't working. But it does boil down to a couple of things from what I have noticed. So I have actually been in the field long enough to notice some things. Mm -hmm. so I'm curious because I've worked with a lot of groups and, and here's here's what I found. So I'm just throwing it out there kind of yep. and I, I want to hear your perspective, but I just want to show you what I found. So retrospectives, yep. I love them. They're my absolute favorite meeting. But I've also been in retrospectives where there's been fisticuffs. I've seen people fight. I've yep. seen somebody throw a monitor out of a window. No joke. I've seen oh. uh, that was a CRT monitor. I'm aging myself now. Uh, but I've seen, but I've seen people, you know, uh, complete silence, crickets chirp. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's a recipe for a purely good retrospective. And I'm sure that's kind of where you're taking it. So tell me more about what you learned in your findings and what direction you think it should be taken. So I, well, I don't think there's going to be a recipe, but I think isn't, isn't that the agile way? There is in fact no recipe mm -hmm. beyond the, the one that people in workshops complain about uh, my Anytime somebody has a problem as well, what if you asked your team? And so half the time, the answer is ask your team. Um, but, but the pain I've heard, so pain points are around things like it's boring. Mm -hmm. um, we do the same three silly questions every time. Okay, well, um, it's funny. If anybody actually digs, those were never actual questions for a retrospective. They're probably bastardized original daily stand-up questions from 20 years ago that even those can and draft dropped in recent years. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know that those three were the original three daily stand-up questions, to be honest, because I remember taking a class from Ken in 2003, and I got the manual with me, and I can show you the manual. Those three questions are not in that manual anywhere for the daily stand-up, which is really Well, yeah, and I bet if you dug into that manual, because uh, I don't have a copy of that one, I, I, I wasn't a part of that secret sect. I, I, I bet if you dig into that manual you're probably going to find that that was still in the days where review and retrospective were effectively one event. It was. Co-joined at the hip. Mm -hmm. 
So first that people are bored because they're going in there and they're dying of boredom. Mm -hmm. But the second, the second major problem is the improvements aren't getting made. Right. And then, yeah, third place, but it's distant third is rushed retro. Okay. So people show up and because they're not achieving the first two items, they rush through the damn thing. Right. And I can tell you now who the culprit was for the three questions. And this is kind of interesting. So I'm not going to name which consulting company was, but one of the big three consulting companies, they came in and they said, this is a golden opportunity where we're meeting people each day. And they said, you know, how can we turn that into uh, three questions that would give a, a solid status report? And mm -hmm. I feel like the retrospective closely followed that same patterning. What I saw was that as consulting companies wanted to get more information for management out of the retrospective that they formulated it into the what went well, what didn't go well, and what can we improve, which, which are garbage questions, by the way, just absolute mm -hmm. garbage. And I, 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 I still feel like, you know, the big thing that you said, and, and I want to zoom in because for you, your number two that you mentioned is my number one. It's mm -hmm. people just see no value. There, there's no change. There's no, mm -hmm. it, nothing happens. It's like, we go and we always talk about what's the one thing we want to improve. And then you're like, great. I got that jotted down inside of JIRA. We're good to go until next time. And, and nothing changes. And I, I just, I guess my question for you is this. I know there's no recipe because I grew up in New Orleans and I love to cook gumbo. What I mean by that is when you cook gumbo, there is no recipe. You just get in there and you get it done, right? And, and it's one of those things where if you do it well, the gumbo is going to taste delicious and everyone's going to enjoy it. But if you do it bad, it's just bad. And, and I, I find, you know, a lot of times retrospectives are a lot like gumbo in that sense. So I guess my question for you is, since there's no recipe for doing it perfectly right, what are some things that coaches or trainers or organizations could be looking for as, I don't want to call them symptoms, but, but as ways that they can improve based, well, first of all, what's the symptom? And then second, what's something they can do to improve? What, what are some tips or tricks that you have to help people improve, I guess, is the better question. <laughs> Well, I, I guess I'd start with a simple one to start. Just vary up the style. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, in workshops, I give people a minimum of two. And the point isn't that my, these two are enough. The point is, if you know there are two, you'll figure out that there are more. Right. If you've only seen one, you might think, well, that was the style. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, three point, the freebie pointer that I'm sure you'll throw in, throw in the notes afterwards is everybody should go visit a website called the RetroMet. Um, okay. And the retromat's a joy because every time you visit the website, it comes up with a different arrangement for a different list of activities that you might consider. Oh, see, I love that. I, I am so burnt out on, and I can tell you now, I've gone to lots of companies where I said, oh, we had a trainer come in and they taught us the sailboat game and we're going to do sailboat game every single time. I'm like, you're driving me crazy. You know, or, or you know, we're going to do... Uh, you know, in the book, Project Retrospectives with Diana Larson and Esther Derby, they give a list of eight questions. He said, we, we vary up and we don't do the three questions. We just select ones from those eight. And I'm like, it's a great book. And it's, and it's a good, it's a good, you know, uh, way to shake things up a little bit, but there needs to be more. I've seen the four quadrants with the happy face, the sad face, the light bulb and the flowers. Yeah. You know, I've seen lots of different ways to do this, but I, I think you're right. Uh, I think Mark, that people just don't want to think outside of the box. And I think part of that has to do with their resistance to change you know time some some people don't know that they need to put in the time to be a good scrum master if so i've facilitated enough retros i i estimate roughly speaking that i'm going to sink as much time into prepping the retro mm -hmm. as i will into facilitating 
good point. And, and, and if I, I'm if I'm rusty more. Yeah. And I'll often say this, and I think this plays well into what you just now said. Uh, in my workshops and my sessions, I always teach that, you know, I, I try to give a comparison so that people can see a one-to-one comparison, maybe with a different job or a different role, so that they can kind of get their head around it. And oftentimes I compare a scrum master to a doctor. And uh, the reason I do that is because number one, they have to put in a lot of time to get to know the things they need to know, and they're constantly learning and evolving. Two, they have to listen to symptoms because they hear symptoms all day long of things. That are, nobody's going to come to you with the problem. Everybody's going to come to you with the symptoms. Mm-hmm. You have to diagnose those symptoms and figure out what the problem is. And then three, once you figure out what the problem is, you kind of need to know what prescription to write and give it to them because it's more important to educate people to get in a position to solve some of their own issues than it is to always go and solve the problem for them. Yep, yep. That, I, li- I like that. Um, I might even use that as a segue. So um, I, I think varying the retrospective style brings up the level of engagement, but only like a half point. You're, okay. you're going to get people into the room and they're going to say, oh, wow, a different activity. But if that different activity after a couple of months leads to no improvements, then you're probably back at zero. Okay. So the next sort of, the next sort of stuff is why is it our actions don't get acted on? Mm. There are a bunch of problems here. Um, My, my favorite starting problem is um, many people, what they call an action. If your or my ears were to hear it would hear a goal. Let me give you an example. Please. Um, Many people will say my team uh, from the retrospective, the team says we would like to do better unit testing. Laudable. Yes, I too would like you to do better unit testing. Does that mean you're going to write one unit text next sprint and you will be satisfied? Does that mean you're going to go to the other end of the spectrum and only write unit tests next sprint? Clearly, neither of those uh, meet the criteria. Um, So I ask a really dumb question. I think I learned it from Bass. But the really simple question is, what would be the first step you would take towards that goal? And then I ask the following question. Can you achieve that easily in your next sprint? And if the answer is no, then I ask you to subdivide further. And if the answer is yes, pat yourself on the back. You've got an action. There you go. And I think that this is something that I do a lot of work also with the Department of Defense. And this is something they really struggle with. One of the things that I was trying to teach them was uh, the method of grow. I'm like, so (laughs) what is your goal? And then I automatically ask them to identify what's your reality. How far away are you from that goal? And by doing so, Mark, that's how I ask them if it's achievable. Mm-hmm. You know, if they say, I, I want to boil the ocean, I'm like, well, what's the current temperature of the ocean? And they're like, oh, well, that's not going to work. I'm like, okay, well, then let's figure out what will work. But then I ask them what opportunities or options do we have? So I don't want them to pigeonhole themselves into saying, I'm going to do unit tests. Okay, well, I'm going to do 100 unit tests. Okay, well, how do you know you're going to do, you know, do you have a plan? How are you going to get to 100 units? Just what options do you have? What are you going to do to get there? And then my last one is, what will you commit to do today that's achievable? And that ties directly into what you were saying, Mark, because that is just a great tool that I use often with my classes because it gets similar information where you're talking about goals, reality, opportunities or options, and what we commit to do. And it's, a, it's especially useful in retrospectives that I've found because oftentimes what will happen is they'll have a really good goal. They'll understand the reality, but then when we get to options, they're like, oh, that's that's not that's above my pay grade, or oh, I can't do anything about that, or oh wow, that's not something I can do. Or I need I need to break that down into much smaller pieces, like you mentioned. So 
Excellent, actionable things, Mark. I love where you're taking this. So, there's more. Yeah, please. I was just about to say, please continue. That's where I was going. Go for it. Okay, well played. So, um, the next challenge I see is too often you take those action items and then they don't get acted on, which is almost as bad as if they were still not made concrete. So, two, two or three simple tricks. Sprint planning, they, they show up in sprint planning. And I ask people to consider them first. Because psychologically, the first thing you consider, um, you say that's a priority. Right. Whereas if you put it at the end, you say, oh, we don't really have time for the improvement now. Mm-hmm. Put it at the beginning, your me- brain mentally decrements it. But, but Mark, how many story points do I put on that? If I put it at the beginning, <laughs> I, sorry, I had to. No, but Ran- <laughs> Random number generator, random number generator. <laughs> but I always tell people, I'm like, you know, you're spot on, though. I often tell people, if it's not important enough to put it at the very top of your sprint backlog for the next sprint, then you didn't get a good goal. Let's well, try it. I, I, I have another advantage over you. Being a Canadian um, and dealing with a Canadian audience, mm-hmm. um, I can say the following framing, and Canadians get it, and, and we don't have a revolution. Folks, it's a tax. Oh. Improvement is a tax. And as Canadians, we can afford to pay a 10% tax on our time to get better every sprint. And I live in Florida currently where there's no tax. <laughs> so if I said, oh, it's a tax, people would be like, what? You know. Let there be a revolution down your way. Your head I would explode. I totally understand. You're going to need a better metaphor. Uh, just give them a story point so that they can be happy about it. And, that, and you know, and that's what I do. I'm like, just, just put a point on there. I don't care if you put one, two, three, you know, just let's keep it low. That's fine. Just throw some points on there and take some credit and call it good. So related to that, so good, good they got it in sprint planning, since sprint planning is supposed to spawn a sprint backlog, mm-hmm. therefore I want it in the sprint backlog, mm-hmm. and preferably at the top. Yes. And the next question that people come up with uh, for me is, how do I do that in JIRA? Mm. And I'm so sorry, <laughs> I have a name for JIRA, and we use it very clearly in our workshop. <clears throat> Did you say <clears throat> Voldemort? Oh, <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I must admit, I don't specialize in doing things inside <clears throat> Voldemort. Okay. So um, I, I'm fairly sure that one can find a mechanism if you play long enough with the configuration to allow you to put something not named a ticket at the top of the sprint backlog. Yeah, sometimes justification and reality augmented is not always the best option. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I have a hundred acronyms for Jira, but, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's just so interesting to me that people automatically want to, and and this, and I found the cause for this too. So I'm a big fan of root cause analysis. I guess this is the one thing that I did learn from Ken. I learned a lot from him, but this is the one real takeaway I took from him. And it was always getting to the root of the problem. And uh, the the thing that he, the the thing that we discovered here with Jira or with any other tool, pick your poison, version one rally, you know, go down the list, any of them, right. Just pick a tool. And, um, I think that leadership is, you know, and this, this might summarize, and this is a big takeaway that I got from what you just now said. So this is my aha takeaway so far, is that sometimes when we're looking for a solution or we're looking for things to make things better, um, organizations don't necessarily want to make the change. So, So let me just give you a quick example. So I had an organization just recently who will remain unnamed for obvious reasons. You'll hear why in a second. Um, I, I went into the company and they said, Lee, we're so glad you're here. I'm like, great. They said, we want to make some big changes. I'm like, outstanding. They said, we're ready to embrace Agile and take it to the next level. And we're ready to synergize and have collective energy. And I'm like, oh, all the buzzwords. I was like checking them off on a bingo card, right? And then, uh, and then finally, they said, but we want you to take what we're currently doing 
And we don't necessarily want to change what we're currently doing. We want to agilify. We want to sprinkle some scrum dust on there and make it, you know, scrummy. So that way it's, it's better. And, and, and I'm like, so let me make sure I understand. You want to take the same thing you're doing right now and repeat it and you expect change. So, so you want to, you want to, you want to make things change by doing the same thing you're doing now, but just do it the same. And I'm like, yes, yes, exactly. I'm like, that, that sounds like the definition of insanity to me, right? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you can't do that. But, but, but it just, it, but it's interesting because retrospective tends to be a place where it's supposed to be the most safe place, but oftentimes it's a place where leadership will lean on that to glean information about the health of a project. And they'll use a tool as a crutch, Jira or whatever, as a crutch to try to have something to have visibility into. And then they'll turn on the transparency button saying, well, you have to give me full access to the tool because Agile and Scrum is all about being transparent. So I need to see everything that's happening there. And then they'll turn that into a weapon and weaponize the tool against the team for not doing a retrospective in a way that produces the output that they desire. I've, yep, I've, I've seen that. So, so my recent counter, uh, but we're dealing with Agile Aikido now. Mm-hmm. Um, my my, re, my recent tool to help people on that front is fine. If Jira or <clears throat> Voldemort is being weaponized against you, um, then at the sprint level, as far as I'm concerned, a sprint should a team should be able to go dark for a whole sprint, and nothing bad would happen in the world. Okay. By that logic, since the sprint backlog is by the team for the team, the team is entitled to you to use whatever tool it sees fit to organize their sprint backlog. I. I so tricks I've seen, I have genuinely seen people export from um, um, Voldemort or any other tool for, for all of my jokes about the one, any of these tools, and they export it and they then set up a mural or a Miro, yep. depending upon which religion you have adopted this pandemic. Um, um, and I've also seen teams just uh, that didn't work for them because they didn't have access, but they had access to Google Docs. So they turned to, they they made a spreadsheet, a Google spreadsheet, and turned it into a cheap and cheerful Kanban. There you go. And, and what the hell? It, if it helps your team collaborate, coordinate, talk to each other, and stay in stay in common touch and in communication, who's to be picky about which damn tool it was? I don't care if you're sending smoke signals. If if it's if it's going to help you collaborate and communicate, if it's going to help you coordinate, do what you got to do. And and I tell teams this all the time. I'm like, why are you? Re-? First of all, I asked them. They said they said this is the tool we have to use. I'm like, why? They said because this is the tool that was given to us. I'm like, so there's no other tool out there that you can use to keep track of things at a team level. And I, I emphasize the importance between managing things in a team backlog type perspective as opposed to managing things at a sprint or product backlog type perspective. And I ask them. You know, I understand that the organization expects you to do these things uh, for their well-being, give or give or take. Uh, but what can you do as a team to ratchet it up to the next level? What can you do to turn things up? And I feel like what your recommendation was is a good idea. Um, I'm a big fan of both Mural and Miro. I like both of those pandemic tools, and <laughs> I call them the pandemic tools. But I feel like uh, I, I feel like they're an effective way for the team to have their own hyper-focus, if you will, or micro-focus. Mm-hmm. It's almost like creating a microchasm uh, environment that, mm-hmm. that they can work in, that they feel confident in, that's not attached to the big beast, the Voldemort, right? Well, yeah, and, and it strikes me, um, 
I'm interested in seeing if a team ran with it for any length of time, do they wind up evolving it so that it has visuals that are relevant to the sprint? Like mm-hmm. if you're playing with a mock-up, throw the mock-up in there because tools like Mural and Myro support just about anything you could possibly imagine being drawn into them. Right. And, and you can import graphics into them and have lots of cool templates. You know, and, and once again, I'm not a big fan of saying, hey, I sponsor a tool or I support a tool. But both of these tools have been incredibly impactful for large organizations that I've worked with mm-hmm. for the exact reason you just now gave. It starts as a simple, almost like a, a simple Kanban board or a simple Excel sheet, if you will. But then it quickly changes from a table view into a broader view and into a visual and into and it morphs into this bigger picture that allows the team to better manage and govern their work in a way that's consumable to them. And I think that's just a powerful tool. Well- yeah, and, and I also like the fact, so I, I guess it depends on the org maturity level. Right. And I suspect the challenge you and I have is nobody ever called a certified scrum training to an organization that was running really well and doing everything in a brilliant way. Yeah. Because we're, we're not cheap. And so nobody says, hey, Mark, let's just wander by because things are going so well. We want your seal of approval because we're already awesome. No, you don't need me. You're not going to pay my rates. That's fine. So we only ever get called in when people are in pain because they're in pain. One of the pains that many orgs early on suffer is the management haven't figured out how to fit in. Mm. Which ties back to our earlier conversation. So um, I can imagine a mature team and in a mature org where the management have an understanding of the boundaries. They could easily get away with living inside the blessed official tool. And that would be fine because people will probably know where not to poke their noses. Right. But when we're dealing with a situation of immaturity, then you're probably going to have to set up some hard fences for a while until we can acculturalize or grow or whatever you want to call it people so that they stay in places where their behavior and choices are appropriate. So Mark, I know you probably have, some of these ideas published somewhere. So my question for you is if any of my listeners want to get ideas from you or they want to reach out to you or they want to see some of these different things that you have in action, I know you mentioned one website, but is there any place else that you feel or any place that you want to send people who are listening or watching this episode, where can they go to learn more? So two things. So there's an ebook. So the retrospect, so I wrote an retrospective ebook. We'll shoot you a link after the, after the conversation. I'll make sure it's in the comments. Okay. And two, surprise, surprise, I have a website. I'm called Agile Pain Relief Consulting. Um, and if it helps people, I even have a um, somewhat cheesy series of stories I've written. That I, I have a scrum master named Steve, and Steve has been thrown under every Agile bus you can imagine. Um, uh, and so basically everything that can go wrong in one team has gone wrong on Steve's team. Uh, and it's a place to laugh and cry. Um uh, with a ho- hopefully not seeing all of these problems from your own team. I got to tell you, Mark, I love Agile Pain Relief. I love the name. I love what it stands for. And I think right about now, it, we're in that position where I think too many organizations have gotten to the point where they've they've argued to wit's end about, is it going to be safe or is it going to be Scrum or is it going to be just a hybrid version of Agile? You know, and, and, and I think they've all gotten through the phase where they said, quote, but we're different, right? But you know, you, you all do it this way, but we're different. We do things different here. And I think they've finally gotten past that. So I think Agile Pain Relief to me, when I hear you say that is almost like, you know, and, and I'm sure you've had the name forever, but it's almost so suitable for now. 
because I feel like right now people are looking for something just to take the edge off of what's happening in their agile implementations. I, if, if so, I'm lucky. I made the name choice 13 years ago. I, I started something called uh, an agile partnership. Um, it failed. Um, good people. Um, but we were too early on the agile wave to figure out how to catch it together, at least in Ottawa. Right. A government town, we're, we're always, you know, a year or two behind um, the private sector. Right. Um, um, I needed a business name. I needed it fast. Uh, Agile Pain Relief, that was 13 years ago, and it's it still works. It works better today, I would argue, than it did then. Because I think 13 years ago, not so many people were, you know, maybe it was uh, help me make an Agile choice would have been a better name for a company you know, 13 years ago. But, but today, Agile Pain Relief fits the bill. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I have a lot of loyal listeners. We have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of subscribers at this point. We just passed the 100,000 mark. Cool. Uh, but, but with, yeah, so there's lots of people listening. But with that being said, you know, it's, it's incredible because I think what people are looking for right now is they're not looking for the agile, and, and I'm going to go here for a minute. They're not necessarily looking for the agile vaccine that cures everything. They're just looking for something that's going to give them a little bit of relief based on the things that they're stressed about. And whether it's retrospectives or whether it's sprints or whether it's just finding a solid agile coach and how to sift through the hundreds of imposters out there to find somebody who's going to give you the real deal. I think that, you know, agile pain relief would be a great place for you to visit, to find out and learn more about what's going on with Mark, what's going on with this company. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you how much I appreciate, it, but I always end on one note. I always ask a last question, a final question. So this is my final question for you, Mark. The question is, if I gave you, and this is the same question I ask everyone, you know, who comes on for this episode, if I gave you what I call the thrift store magic lamp, now let me explain. It's, it's not a regular genie lamp where you rub it and get three wishes. It's a thrift store version or a dollar store version. You rub it and you only get one wish. So if I gave you the power to rub that genie lamp and you can make one change in the agile community to, to help make the world a better place, to help uplift people, to help make agile better, if you, if you had the, the, the ability to make one change without any retribution whatsoever, you know, what one change would you, what, what trigger would you put? What lever would you flip? What, what would you do to make one change? What would that one change be? Um, empathy and kindness. I, I'd, I'd like a whole lot more of that. I love that, that. I love that that took you all of a half a millisecond to come up with because it, it speaks volumes about the kind of person you are. And I knew that prior to this call. But, you know, I'm sorry, I get water easy, but uh, it, it, it's true. And I think, you know, I learned this from Richard Branson a long time ago uh, when we were working on the Virgin Galactic Project in the early days. And what he was saying is just that there's so many people out there with talents and gifts and, and, and they're good at doing things. And we spend so much time trying to break down and tear down and identify all the things they're doing wrong that we don't spend enough time uplifting people and celebrating their success. And I think that if we just filled the world with empathy and kindness and look for those talents and traits that people have, that the world would be a better place. And Mark, you nailed it. So Mark, it's been a pleasure. I know your time's valuable. Uh, So I'm going to let you scoot out. If any of you have questions about this topic or any others, feel free to visit me at Agile Dad. Shoot me over an email. I'm going to make sure we drop Mark's contact information in there. Visit Agile Pain Relief. they got lots of good stuff out there that I'm sure you can dig into. And as always, if you have something you want to cover on the Daily Stand-Up Podcast, let us know. Learn more at AgileDad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, stay well, stay healthy, and stay agile, my friends. Thanks again, Mark. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Take care.